This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Hi, my name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. And we are having a conversation about, well, mainly the United Nations and more specifically the IPCC. The wonderful Canadian investigative journalist, um, Donna Laframbois. Yes, thank you. So I have been a journalist for about 30 years in Canada, and uh, one of my earliest stories was I helped to bring attention to a gentleman who had been wrongly convicted of a, of a very ugly murder, um, and eventually, because of the efforts of people like me here in Canada, he got a new trial, he was exonerated mm -hmm. by DNA evidence, and he was compensated, so we helped um, address a wrongful conviction. Uh, my first book was about how the women's movement went wrong, but that was back in the 1990s, so that was a different wave of, of dissident feminists. And um, and I've done a lot of investigative reporting um, for most of the newspapers in Canada and some magazines. And um, so, yes, I, I'm i I'm not new to this rodeo. You were, you were part of the, the Civil Liberties Group. What, I, I beg you, I, I, forget, I forget the name now. What is it called? So Canada has the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, right. which is kind of a parallel organization to the the ACLU in in um, in in America. So at um, er, much earlier, um, I was a, a vice president of that organization for a while. I was a board member. So as a journalist, I have a very strong commitment to free speech, and I think it's very important that that we have full and open debate about issues that are that are central to our lives. And then you've also been criticized by um the 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 feminist movement uh for for well what would you be criticized for because you you consider yourself a feminist according to your online profile i have a degree in women's studies that was my undergraduate was in women's studies in english so yes i very much consider myself a feminist in the sense that i believe in equality uh, but my first book was this dissident feminist right um, um, discussion that said, wait a minute, I'm a feminist, but I don't dislike men, and I don't think we should be discriminating against men. Also, you know, I, I love feminism, but could we have a talk about the, how it's kind of going off the rails? So there are some women who believe that you can't have those discussions, and that if you want to have mm. those discussions, you're an anti-feminist. So, um, you know, well, what can I say? My wife doesn't think I'm a I'm a, I'm a misogynist, so I guess that's a good start. <laughs> Uh, but yes, yes, the clincher. Um, I came across, as I said to you just before we went live, I came across your work uh, from the brilliant book that I'm reading called, well, it's got a long title, The Delinquent Teenager Who, uh, I'm sorry, what's the rest of it? The Delin Who was mistaken for the world's top climate expert. That's quite here. correct. It, yeah, that that's <laughs> the book. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a real eye-opener. I mean... It's all fine and well to talk about the science of climate change, but what what you've written about in that book is about the politics, and particularly the politics of the IPCC. Which, for those who don't know, and and you can you can jump in here, but it's it's the environmental climate change wing of the United Nations. 
Well, there there is a, a UNEP, which is the United Nations Environment Program, and then there's the World Meteorological Organization, which is sort of about the weather. And about 30 years ago, they gave birth to a baby, and that's called the IPCC, yes. which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. But but notice the intergovernmental panel. It's yeah. a, it's really yeah. an organization of governments. Well, would you mind just explaining that to those who who don't quite know how it all works okay so what happens is um is governments nominate scientists to write help the ipcc do its job and what its job is is to write a report every Mm. five or six or seven years which you know theoretically it's um to evaluate what the climate published climate science research says and so should we be concerned about climate change or not they write this report and then governments point to this report and say we have to spend lots of money on fighting climate change because here's this UN report written by scientists and that sounds kind of cool except that very authoritative very authoritative very Mm -hmm. trustworthy you know it's got the UN but until you start, step back and remember that the UN is about politics, it's about high-grade politics at the international mm. level, and that the IPCC as a UN body is run by UN bureaucrats. And bureaucracies have a habit of trying to expand their mandate. Um, they never shrink their mandate. They always think that the world has, needs more of them and more of what they do. So you've got a, a politics... Uh, a political system, political people mm. telling scientists what to do. And they really do tell them what to do because long before the scientists start work, the bureaucrats sit down and they they make an outline of what this report is going to say. And then the scientists are told, you, ha- you write that chapter and you write about this outline. And sometimes the scientists say, well, you know, at that point in the outline, there's really not any research. And they're told, well, too bad, the UN wants something about that. Yeah. And then yeah scientists might say well but we'd like to talk about this other issue that's kind of come up and we think that's important well too bad it's not in the outline and the outline was decided three years ago so the whole process of writing this report is controlled by people who are not scientists but and that's a problem but if we're if public is being told science has spoken this is what science says about climate change but Donna it sounds like you're wearing a tinfoil hat um, no, I'm looking at a real organization. I'm looking at how it behaves. I'm looking at how the press and the organization itself describes itself and how it behaves and then how it actually functions in real life. So, for example, for many years we were told that the IPCC is the world's top scientists and they have declared X about climate change. Except when I started looking at the people who've been writing those reports over the years, I found a whole number of students graduate mm. students yes. some of whom didn't have their masters yet yes in some your, of in your sorry for interrupting you but i i just wanted to interject there because in your book you 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 spoke about um the the 2007 climate bible which had something like 18 and a half thousand um references but before we go any further would you mind explaining just quickly what the climate bible is well, the Climate Bible is that report. It's the report that the IPCC writes. 
And for a while, people were calling it the Climate Bible, and then sort of that's that term seems to have gone out of fashion. But it's what it, it's it's the IPCC reports. Those reports, governments all over the world point to them. We need new regulations. We need new laws. We need a, an expensive tax on fuel because the IPCC says we're in trouble. So, so I find out that a lot of people writing this report are not the world's top experts. Mm. They're graduate students who are years away from even getting their PhD. That's a problem if you're telling the public that they're the world's top scientists. I, we, you know, they went around for years saying we only look at peer-reviewed literature. We only look at peer-reviewed scientific literature to make our decision. Mm. And then one day, almost by accident, I saw this blog post from an economist complaining that the IPCC's Climate Bible, the report, was saying X, and he says, but the peer-reviewed literature says Y. And so I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, what do you mean? How could it say, I thought it was all peer-reviewed literature, how mm. could it be saying using a different source? So then I went and took a close look and I found out that many, many, many of the references in that particular part of the of the climate bible were not to peer reviewed literature. And so then I went three. It was one in three, I think you said in your book. At the end, we we ended up. I ended up, um, you know, sparking this process where lots of people from around the world volunteered to help me examine those references. There were more mm. than eighteen thousand references in that particular report. We got three people to look at the references from each chapter. So they were working independently, and they each made an assessment of, okay, is this a, is this press mm. release or is this a scientific. Um, uh, was this published in a scientific journal? So then when we calculated it up, we found that 30%, one in three of the references um, that were being used by these people to write this report were not in fact to peer-reviewed literature. So, you know, if you tell the public that they are, and then it finds out that one in three are not, well then you, okay, this is just simple stuff. Mm -hmm. This is, how do you describe the people who write the report? How do you describe your process mm -hmm. of writing the report? If those things aren't true, and no one has, mm -hmm. had no, and you know, part of it is, is I said, okay, there were thousands of scientists who knew that these things weren't true. Why did they let the leaders of the IPCC go around and, and tell these lies, and no one mm -hmm. objected? So if those very simple things about this organization are not true, why should we believe that this is an organization that should be trusted? Are you a shill? Are you paid by some fossil fuel industry to say stuff <laughs> like this? Because I am not. I have never taken, I have never been offered and so I have never taken um, any, there has been no possibility for me to take right. any fossil fuel money. So um, I have always been an independent journalist. I worked for three years as a staffer at Canada's National Post, but the rest of the time I've been in, I've been a freelancer mm. who I, you know, I'm my own boss. So what you're saying is you are interested in the truth. Well, I am interested in telling people things they don't know. I'm not interested in being the kind of journalist that is is repeating something that someone has heard mm. ten times already. I am actually interested in in double checking and fact checking. Yeah organizations that are important and that matter in the world and yes you know you go I go where the evidence leads me who polices the IPCC no one 
And that's part of the problem. And that's what I discovered is, you know, people, when they defend the IPCC, they say, look, there's all these procedures, there's all these policies, and every once in a while, those policies get updated. Right. Well, you can, have, you can have laws, but if you don't have any enforcement of those laws, like the speeding limit, for example, mm. there there's, um, you know, st- uh, speeding um, signs all over the place mm. telling you what maximum speed limit is even with lots of police officers around we know that people don't always obey those laws they exceed the speed limit there is no enforcement mechanism within the IPCC you can have all the procedures you want in the world but unless you have some quality control people unless you have some enforcement people who are going to going to step in and say um you need to follow the rules here but the IPCC has never had any of that and it has no and is until very recently has had no conflict of interest policies either so and now they sort of have a conflict of interest policy but we're supposed to just trust them that it has it has been applied in a proper way. So an activist is coming with their own agenda. And activists have a place in society, but it, an activist should not be evaluating scientific research and mm. writing a report uh, uh, about that research, okay? But there are many, many activist mm. scientists who are part of the IPCC. You know, we have people who have been the, you know, employed, taking a paycheck. Um, from activist organizations for two decades. We have other people who have written seven reports for either Greenpeace or the World Wildlife Fund. These people are being put in charge of chapters at the IPCC. They have their own agenda and and, and then yeah. we're told we should trust their judgment. So the report is huge, it's massive, it's thousands of pages long. It has It's broken down into three smaller reports. And then at the end, they write summaries for each of those three smaller reports. And then they write a summary of the summaries. Okay, would you you mind breaking that down just a little bit for those, because most people don't know how it works. Yeah, so the the first part of the report is sort of supposed to be dealing with the hard science of the issue. And um, and that's the one that people say, oh, well, you know, the, the, the it's all peer reviewed literature. Well, actually, it's not. But um, but and there's this whole process whereby scientists who are writing this IPCC report decide they want to talk about something, but it's not part of the peer reviewed literature. So in the in those multi years, three or four years in which they're writing the report, mm. They and their friends go write an article, get it published in the peer review literature so they can point to it in the IPCC so there, it reports. So there's all kinds of ways that this, this system can be gamed. And, you know, we're human. It's, it's, I'm not saying the scientists are evil. I'm saying they're human. And they believe strongly in a certain analysis. And, um, and rather than being very neutral, very dispassionate, very fair-minded, they, we have, unfortunately, a lot of activist scientists who have been part of that. So there's one section, and then there's two sections, and then there's three sections. Each of them look at different things. So there's the hard science, and then there's sort of the effects, and then there's, you know, how might we respond? Um, So, and then, so they're hundreds of pages long, so a summary gets written of each one. But it's very important to understand the scientists draft the summary. But they, but that summary is not just re- released to the public, so mm. we can see what the scientists said. There's a process at the UN where countries send all their representatives to a big meeting called a plenary, and they take that draft summary and they put it up paragraph by paragraph 
up on large screens, and then diplomats and bureaucrats, people who are not scientists, object and say, oh, we have to change that line because my government doesn't like that. So at the end, what is finalized is not what the scientists said, it's what happens after they have spent a week massaging this document mm -hmm. in different countries, some of whom are, you know, their dictatorships, um, have said, no, no, we can't say that in the summary. So we get three groups with three summaries that are, are produced like that, and then there is another group that writes a summary of the three summaries. Now those summaries are the only things that most politicians and most journalists will ever, ever look at. So the fact that they have been produced by a political process, that it's not just the scientists write it and that's it, should be a big warning sign. It should be a red flag. What, what's is this science or is this something else? It doesn't sound like science, but let me ask you another question. Is, is the IPCC's default position neutral? No, it's not. No, it's not. Because what happened was the IPCC wrote its very first report back in 1990, and then two years later at the Rio Convention, the UN Rio, Rio big meeting, all of the countries in the world, or, or most of the countries, decided that, that greenhouse gas emissions from human beings was a problem, and they signed the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, the UNFCCC. Yeah, that's in your book. That's right. So they signed that when the, the first IPCC report was very tentative. It wasn't at all clear that that human-caused greenhouse gases were were uh, were a problem. So there's a tentative report, then this treaty gets signed that says it's a problem, we have to do something about it, and the other versions of the report that have come since mm. are all about giving the UN ammunition to advance that treaty. So these reports all have to serve a purpose. They are to advance a political instrument, an international treaty which is administered by the UN. It's not science. It's just not science. And just to clarify, those reports are what our governments read. Well, as I say, the summaries are usually what they read. Yes, yes. But, but, but then they'll say, yes, go look in the IPCC report. It says X, so we should take this, mm. this measure. How do you know... How do you know for sure that the IPCC is biased? I mean, I mean, people listening to this now can go, ah, you know, you just, you just got an agenda, Donna. What is my agenda? Uh, you, I, I don't think this is very interesting stuff. I'd rather go and write about something else altogether. You know, writing about an obscure UN organization that most people have never heard of is, is not really, um, you know, my idea of a good time. What, what, what is my agenda? I think it's important that journalists um, be, um, you know, be a, a, check, a check, be part of the system of checks and balances. We have a very important international organization. It's only ever received until recently, um, you know, this glowing praise, this very automatic mm. um, acceptance by journalists. And I think I'm just doing what a journalist is supposed to do. Fact check, double check. And, you know, at the end of the day, if people read my book or they listen to my concerns and they say, oh, well, they're not, I, I don't care about that, that's fine, you know, but we should have an open debate and a real discussion about the real 
precise nature of this organization rather than just trusting authority. I don't believe in trusting authority. For the sake of it, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, we're talking about making some very serious changes to our economy and to, mm. and, um, and to the way we live because climate change is a problem because the UN says, well, maybe we want to spend a little time just double-checking, um, you know, the, the process by which these conclusions were arrived at before we go and turn our society upside down. How, how does the IPCC uh, select its science for its uh, for its uh, climate Bible. That is a very good question. We don't really know. Um, and at a certain point, the IPCC got a little bit of bad press. There was some controversy because it had said that the Himalayan glaciers were going to melt in a few years, and people said that's crazy, and, and finally they had to admit that they'd made a mistake. And so there was this moment when, um, when people said, okay, maybe we should have an investigation into how the IPCC is doing its, mm -hmm. its, its work. And there was an investigation, and it's called the Inter-Academy Council Report, and it came out. And um, pardon me, what was your question? <laughs> I was I was just asking, how do they select their, their science or their scientists? Um, in your book, you That's cover right. it, but a lot of people might not have read it. Right. Well, and essentially, so this, this report said um, it's a black box. Even people who are working at the IPCC who are participating in this process for years don't really understand how those scientists get selected. And really, the, it's, it's, the, the simple answer is, Governments nominate them. Yeah. Okay. So let's, so, so let's start there. So it works according to governments and their nominations. That's right. So governments nominate these these thousands of people, and then someone at the IPCC sits down and says, "Well, we're going to take this person, but not that person." And um, and because it's a UN body, it's very concerned about diversity. It's very concerned about regional representation. So one of the things that he, uh, people who have been involved in the IPCC say, you know, we had a number of people on our chapter who weren't up to the task. Mm. They really didn't know enough to help us with this job. Um, but they, but you know, I guess the I, I guess the IPCC thought it was important to have someone from, you know, um, Australia, so they were there, or, or you know, Africa. it was important, have, yeah, or someone from, you know, it was important to have a woman on the on on mm. our chapter, so but she really couldn't make a contribution, so so there are reasons that people get put on IPCC chapters that have nothing to do with their scientific expertise. And when the IPCC announces its new list of authors for its upcoming report, they don't tell you what the person's expertise is, they tell you which country they came from. Each chapter has two people who are sort of in charge, who are kind of mm. the administrators and the bosses for that chapter, the editors for that chapter. And so lately they have decided that it's very important that there be someone from the developed world and someone from the developing world and that, that it, that, um, you know, those duties be shared. So yes, are you choosing the best scientists to, to, or are you using other criteria when you're choosing these people? And if you want to, um, you know, use other criteria, that's fine, but don't mm. tell us that it's the best scientists. Why are they going in a particular direction or using a particular narrative? 
Okay, so as I've explained, there is a UN treaty. Right. It's called UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. That treaty obligates people, the governments, to get together every year at the end of the year to what's called a COP, a convention of the parties, and to try to strengthen the treaty, and the treaty is all about reducing emissions. Okay, so we have many, many people in governments all over the world whose job is to work on that treaty and try to promote that treaty. Now, when you're trying to decide what to do to promote that treaty, you need to be all on the same page because one country would say, well, my glaciers are melting, and the other country would say, but over here my glaciers are growing, so I don't think it's anything to be about. So you have to have a, a document, an agreed statement of facts. We would call it in a lawsuit. Everyone agrees X, Y, and Z is happening. So mm. how are we going to do our negotiations to promote our treaty, to advance our treaty? We need So that's what the Climate Bible does. That's what the report does. It's the agreed statement of facts. But, but, but if you have 18,000 or 19,000 peer-reviewed, peer-reviewed um, sources, surely that is pretty credible science well except they're not they're not you right so we, we've established that a third mm. of them at least in one report were not peer-reviewed um so and, and thousand, then i think you said in 2007 yes yeah, so there were 18,000 altogether a third of those around 5,000 and something a 30 percent were not peer-reviewed so first of all we've got we've been miss led about what your source material is and then the second thing is gray the I think, sorry i beg your pardon i think you i think you used the term gray gray sources or gray material gray, gray literature yeah yeah if it's not peer-reviewed it, it's, it's called gray literature and sometimes mm -hmm. those are magazine articles sometimes they're they're um you know working paper or wwf uh, they're an article or, you know, they're, yeah, they're mm. a flyer published by Greenpeace or report published by Greenpeace. So a lot of different things can be in gray literature. So, so first of all, you're not dealing with just scientific um, material. And then let, let me remind you that in the last few years, this isn't in my book. This is something that I sort of have noticed in the last few years. We have a reproducibility crisis in science. Okay. A lot of very, authoritative people, including the the, the uh, editor of The Lancet, which is a medical journal, says that about half of published scientific literature is actually wrong. Gee. Yeah. When they try to reproduce these studies, they get different results. Even when they go Ooh. and ask the original researchers to help them, sure. we, try, we try to produce, reproduce studies and they're, and they're wrong. They're just, we don't get the same results. So when you say it's, it's however many thousand peer-reviewed pieces mm. of scientific literature, well, if half of those are wrong, what does that do to your report? And my concern, I, I'm not an expert on climate models, um, but my concern is that the same people who spend their lives working with climate models and who therefore are, are don't have any distance from them, they're very committed to them, they believe in them, it's their career, um, are the people that the IPCC gets to evaluate their right. cli the climate model results. Well, you know, that's not, if you're, if this is a really important mm. Crisis for the planet. You should be getting people who don't work in that field to take an out, you know, to take a very independent look. 
So when the IPCC just gets the same people who are producing climate model results to evaluate the how impressive the models are, that's that's that doesn't give me any confidence in the results. That there are many people who don't quite know what a climate model is. Well, it's basically in a very advanced computer program. It's it's huge supercomputers. It's millions of lines of code, and you know it predicts the future. Part, well, it, 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 it runs scenarios. It runs a list of scenarios, uh, you know, a range of scenarios. If there's this many emissions goes in, uh, what will the results be, you know, in, in, in 20 or 50 or 100 years from now? So that, you know, and the, and models have, modeling has its place, but it's not a prediction of the future. It's a possible, it's a possible outcome. So there are all of these people mm. who, who get, are confused and they think it's a prediction of the future. But what makes that interesting is that we don't know what the future holds and suddenly we look at those those computer model results and uh, write policies. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we he, humans have tried for many years, for many centuries, to predict the future. And if it was possible to write a computer program that could tell you mm. what gold would be trading on the stock market um, a year from now, you know, everyone would do it. But it's not possible it's because not possible. there's too many... There's too many moving parts. There's too many unpredictable, chaotic things going on in the universe. Mm. Um, so, you know, climate models need to be taken, um, you know, with a grain of salt. Like every other way we try to see into the future. The, the IPCC has um, deadlines so mm. um, and cutoff dates. So it says so that the the former um, head of the IPCC would tell the press, well, this report only looked at scientific literature published up to January 2006, I think was the date um, uh, in one case. So we didn't look at anything beyond that. Mm. But then it turns out when the final report comes out, it's 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 talking about um, this other document that came out of the UK called the Stern Report, which was published in October of 2006. But here's the head of the IPCC saying we didn't look at anything after January 2006. And so in that discussion in my book, I talk about how there was um, one particular um, edition of one particular journal devoted to climate change where there were like 19 articles and 12 of them were all cited by the IPCC. Mm. The journal was published like a year after those cutoff dates. So that's what I mean about there's all different ways that the system can be gamed. And because there's no police officers, there's no enforcement mechanism saying, no, 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 that's against the rules. You can't do that. That sort of thing has been going on. And 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 yes, you can basically, as a scientist then, you know, write the evidence, tailor-made, if your if your buddy happens to be editing that journal, then suddenly there's all of these mm. papers in one particular edition of the scientific journal that all end up being quoted in in the new IPCC report, even though that journal came out a year past the cutoff date. That smells. It smells. It should give us pause about the integrity of this organization. Are scientists speaking out? 
Well, some of them are, but they get, um, you know, they get called climate deniers and planet killers and shills for the fossil fuel company, even though many of them have never, ever taken any money from the fossil fuel company. And, and by the way, the fossil fuel companies have been funding the green groups for a long, long time and, and donating tons of money to climate research at universities for a long, long time. And that money apparently never matters, right? And, and that's part of it as a journalist. When I look and see there's all this concern about the 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 money that might have gone to skeptics and and there's total blindness about all the huge amounts of money that really dwarf dwarf um you know what might have gone to the other side you know you have to be even-handed you have to say well you know if money is a problem we need to look at the money that the world wildlife fund took for years from shell oil we need to look at that and we need to talk about it. We need to talk about all the money that the Sierra Club took from the natural gas companies when they were fighting coal. You know, there are lots and lots and lots of money around and it's, I, I assure you from being in this, in this, um, you know, looking at this issue for more than a decade now, the money is mm. not on the skeptic side. So when, when honest um, scientists try to speak up about this, they're dismissed. And. It's funny you say that because I have read a, a number of uh, biographies of scientists who've been um, rejected or dismissed or sidelined. And the IPCC, if I'm correct, does sideline many scientists. Well, it does. And, and part of it is that it can't, you know, you, you can't have everyone on working on the IPCC. You're going to have to make some choices. Mm. But the IPCC does seem to have, um, have um, demonstrated a bias. Um, you know, very, very reputable experts have never been invited to participate in the IPCC. And other reputable experts have. Mm. And then they've said, well, wait a minute, this is just, this is not a, um, a procedure. Uh, this is not an organization. These are not processes I want to have any anything to do with and they have stepped back and said please take my name off that report I don't want anything to do with you but aren't they just disgruntled scientists that's what I was told this week well you know some of them might be some of them might be but there's now a long list of people who have very very impressive credentials who participated in the IPCC for one uh, report and just said no I'm not doing that again um, I have very serious concerns about the scientific integrity of this process and mm -hmm. you know when, when, when one person says it okay maybe they're disgruntled when three people say it maybe they're disgruntled when you have a start to get a long list of those people maybe you actually need to consider their perspective could one argue that uh, the IPCC have cleaned up its house a bit since then? I wish that were the case. I have not seen any evidence of that. So, you know, um, my concerns were about activists um, being taking part in the IPCC process. The, after my book came out, they put those same activists in charge of chapters. They weren't just authors anymore. They were in charge of chapters. So that hasn't um, that hasn't changed. The IP the that report that investigation into the IPCC said, you know, the IPCC is a little bit insular. It should be getting some people from the outside who are not involved with climate change to sit on a board and kind of you know help temper some of the that insularity what did the IPCC do it put its own people it made it it made a space it added it added those people but they were insiders they didn't actually ever take anyone from the outside 
Um, you know, they were told that they should get a conflict of interest policy. They've sort of adopted one, but it's a black box. Mm. We don't know how it behaves. People are supposed to tell the IPCC what their conflicts might be, but then the IPCC in a back room decides whether the conflicts are are you know worth worrying about or not we are we as the public don't know what those are so i have seen no indication that the ipcc has has done anything to improve and you know i would love to i would love to um mm. uh, to learn that ha it has um gotten it after i released my the results of that investigation about you know a 30% of those references were mm. not peer-reviewed. The IPCC did stop claiming publicly that it was only peer-reviewed literature. So so it may, that's one improvement. Is there a cool kids club at the IPCC that you know of? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's also, you know, let's be fair to young scientists. It's very hard out there to um, to make a living. There's there in many cases, there's more scientists than there are jobs. And you're trying to get ahead in your career. And someone says, oh, do you want to work on this UN body? Um, do you want to help, you know, address climate change and save the world and go to um, meetings in, in exotic locations all over the world? And it's going to look good on your resume. Of course, of mm. course. I understand why young scientists might want to do that. Sure, sure. And then there is there um, a culture of, of people who are central and who are kind of making most of the decisions and guiding the, t and you know, setting the tone and guiding the direction. Of course, mm. every organization has that. You know, that yeah, of course. So the organization that did the investigation into the IPCC, the Inter-Academy Council Committee, at one, as part of their process, they had a questionnaire. It was online, but I think it was also distributed in other ways. And they asked people to anonymously answer this questionnaire about their experience with the IPCC. Mm. And those people did. And um, and then at a certain point, um, the the it was all put together in a great big PDF file. I think the comments run to 697 mm. or something. It's an enormous PDF file where people, you know, talked about, um, here's my experience of the IPCC. So in that file, you see things like people saying, there's people on our chapter who are not equipped to make right. a contribution. They shouldn't be there. The, the questionnaire never mentioned the word gender but people talked about gender all the time right. as oh we needed a woman on the on the on on our chapter so we have this person um so um and they talked about you know those meetings where i i, I mentioned that they put up the whole paragraph by paragraph of the draft by this by and then there's mm -hmm. this discussion about what can stay and what can go well the, there were many comments about that process, and they just said, oh, my God, I could not believe. This is surely not the way you should be conducting scientific affairs. Um, I couldn't believe how picky people the countries were. I couldn't believe that, you know, we wasted all this time, and it was really slow at the end, and then we had only a week to do this. So the last two days, these meetings went right through the night. Um, so there was lots of commentary about that and, and lots of commentary about the the. the the person who was the chairman of the IPCC at the time just saying he's 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 hanging around with Greenpeace that doesn't look good that doesn't make us look scientific he is um, talking about all of these policy um, uh, 
measures that should be adopted by governments, even though the IPCC is supposed to be policy neutral and is not supposed to be promoting policy. It's supposed to be just presenting a range of things that governments can choose from. So a lot of people had expressed grave mm. concern about the about about the chairman at the time. So it's it's actually a remarkable document that gives you an insight into what ordinary scientists who were, are have been affiliated with this organization think. And they didn't and there's it is impossible to read those 600 pages and come away with the feeling that everything's okay. This is a right. this is a trustworthy organization that's got no serious problems. I actually went and read that PDF. Um it is available online. Um it well, I didn't read the whole PDF. It's just too many pages, but I read parts of it, and um, it was remarkable to see how many scientists were talking about how this is not about science. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and they were doing so, you know, in a safe, safe place, right. in a safe way, without their names attached. But yes, if you have person after person after person raising that concern, maybe it's a real concern. It's funny though that you mention safe space we're, we're supposed to be talking about science donna <laughs> i know <laughs> but you know um governments um governments have signed that treaty governments have bought into the idea that climate change is is predominantly caused by humans and can be stopped pardon me by humans and that it's a problem and so if your employer is a government organization like a university um you can't as an you are risking a great deal as a scientist if you disagree publicly mm. with your organization. And in fact, I I include in in my book um, a, an anecdote written by a person who's now retired, was a very senior scientist um, in Australia, and he was basically told, um, "Don't say anything questioning climate change or the funding for your project, which was studying in Antarctica, is will be in jeopardy." You must toe the party line because the government or your scientific organization has a position on this and you are not free to express your own views. The globe is not warming to the, to the extent uh, that, it's, that, that we keep seeing in the media. Would the IPCC do a 180? Um, I don't think so, because as I say, every organization has a culture, mm. right? And it is very, very difficult to change a culture, any culture. You have to have very strong leadership and, and a real commitment um, to change. And I don't see that happening at the IPCC. The IPCC serves mm. that treaty. They have right. said it. Their leaders have said that very clearly. And the treaty, you know, the treaty is about all about reducing emissions. So in other words, they've... They've created a particular narrative, and now they have to go all out. And and if it if it if it shows to be wrong in the next decade, uh, they'll just let it peter out quietly and focus on something else gradually, like perhaps uh, CFCs in the eighties or nineties. Perhaps, perhaps, right. or you know, bureaucracies have this have this habit of just keeping going. Um, I forget the name of it, but there's a bureaucracy I wrote about if, uh, a little while ago. It's a UN organization that was set up to help rebuild Europe after the Second World War. It's still going on mm. now, and mm. one of its jobs is regulating international standards for automobile brakes. Right. It didn't go away. It didn't go away. It's still there. And just to be clear, Donna, this isn't about 
opposing uh, the science if the science is legit uh, because you're uncomfortable with it. This is simply about transparency in an organization that sees itself as the authority on climate change. That's right. I'm not a scientist. Mm. When I listen to someone who is very credentialed make the argument for why I should be concerned about climate change, they sound very persuasive. Mm. And when I listen to a climate skeptic scientist make the argument for why um, they don't um, think there's reason for concern, they sound persuasive too. I don't have a PhD in science. I have no way of knowing which science, uh, scientific analysis is correct. But as a journalist, I can say, here's an international body. Here's what we've been told about that body. Mm. It's not true. Here's how we've been told that body behaves. That's not true. And so um, the public has a right to know these things. Agenda 2030 or Agenda 21, do you know anything about that? Well, that's a, a UN document, um, which is, you know, is is this – and it, it – it is a real document, and now I think it's been upda- uh, updated to Agenda 30 or 2030. I haven't personally looked at it, so I'm not in a position to, to make a comment about that. Right. Climate change is the Trojan horse for taxes. Well, there have been a lot of uh, remarks made by very senior um, UN officials um, that are, are pretty disturbing, that they say things like, well, our entire way of life our entire economy has to be changed because of climate change and you know you have Mm. to do what the UN says and you have to we have to promote this UN treaty because of climate change and there's all kinds of demands for money that should go from some countries to a UN body because of climate change so you know um, we can't we don't have we're not clairvoyant we don't know Mm. what the motive other people are but the direction of things is all about giving the UN more prestige more power more money and they have tried a few times to suggest that they should be able to tax certain activities right. and that that they should be able to get that tax money which really sounds like taxation without representation because right. there's no way I in Canada can have any influence over the decisions that the UN makes mm. right I think people need to be skeptical of every government report um, that comes out, whether it, it's 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 comes out in South Africa or it comes out in in the UK or or it comes out from a UN body. You know, we we have brains and we have the ability to download uh, reports and read them for ourselves. We should not be taking the media's um, word for anything. And yes, we should be skeptical because there are bureaucrats who are paid. Um, to advance their own agenda, you know, mm. bureaucracies try to grow themselves, and we need to protect ourselves from from bureaucracies that just get out of hand. So, yeah, we need to be skeptical of everything, always, and skeptical of what I'm saying, and skeptical right. of what you're saying. Use your brains, right? Sure. And and there's no there's no short shortcut to that. It's it's hard work. What is your personal view? Well, as a journalist, I'm a professional skeptic. Mm. So I'm skeptical of anything anyone tells me. And if I'm not skeptical, it just means they're going to use me, mm. right, to, to promote their their agenda, their right. point of view. So I have to be skeptical of anything anyone tells me. So um, 
I and what I have seen by looking at the climate debate for the last decade is that I am not personally persuaded that there's a crisis and there is certainly not such a crisis that people who are young people now should not be should be choosing not to have children mm. I personally I think that's crazy um, you know for 50 years we have been told about one environmental um, threat after another right it right. was it was overpopulation was going to just destroy us and then it was global cooling that right. was going that to was come in the 70s. destroy us that's right. And then there was acid rain and there was the ozone hole. There has and and CFC, climate change yeah. has been around now for a long time. Um, there's always something that that a certain number of people and you know, we all have different relationships to risk. And some people are very risk averse mm. and they're a bit of drama queen in them, and they're always saying that the sky is falling and the reason that it's falling changes. But we've heard this steadily for fifty years. And I think the human beings are pretty pretty um, creative and that we're there we have a lot of ingenuity and that when the crunch comes and if we have a crisis we step up and we figure out how to solve the crisis I think we're pretty amazing right so um, if if it turns out that there's a climate crisis it's not imminent it's not going to be something that destroys us in the next 20 years or 12 years or whatever uh, Greta Thunberg is saying at the moment mm. but if that becomes an issue I think we will we will meet that challenge and we will be heroic and we will solve the problem so right. you know, um, I, I think it's important to try to keep things in perspective Donna thank you so much for the conversation If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.